name's Graham. if you don't know me, and uh, if you're with us here today for the first time, great to have you here. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions as we start. Uh, if you want to follow along an outline, uh, that's in your bulletins there. And we're looking mostly at Romans, but some verses will be up on the screen as well. Here's three questions to start our time together. When you think about God, uh, what do you think about? How do you, how do you do that? What do you picture God as? When you think about God, what do you feel, uh, see in your head, think? First question, when God is mentioned. Then what shapes your thinking? Second, th- second question we want to think about. What shapes your thinking about God? And third, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do you glorify God? It's a biblical word we'll come to understand today. How do you glorify God? In other words, recognize him, or as we read from Daniel there, acknowledge him for who he is, great and powerful and holy. These are important questions, and they're actually questions that the reformers themselves, uh, in the 16th century we've been looking at over the course of the year, uh, now and again, they're, they're questions that the reformers clearly thought were important as well. So why don't I pray for us? And then we'll get stuck into um, this final solar, this slogan that the reformers were known for. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who speaks. We pray that you'd be speaking to us. We ask that you'd open our hearts and our our minds to hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that as a response of what we hear today, we, 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 uh, we fall to our knees and acknowledge you for who you are. Uh, We thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about about 600 years, there's my three questions, about 600 years before the birth of Jesus and King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he stood on his balcony, his rooftop, and he looked out and he admired the view. Daniel 4, that was just read to us by Anne. He was awestruck and in wonder of all that was laid out before him, of all that he had done. (laughs) And so impressed was he by his handiwork that he said this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? See, Nebuchadnezzar, everything Nebuchadnezzar saw was of him, see that, by him, and for his glory. It's breathtaking, isn't it? Wow. Uh, He'd pushed God right out of the picture, right to the side. He was the centre of his world. And as we read on in Daniel 4, well, God's judgment was, was fairly swift. Now, I think it's actually easy to fall into the trap of being a bit like a, a, a Nebuchadnezzar. It's not hard to say, I am king, where I'm the centre of everything. If we're being honest with ourselves, and I hope we are, it's not hard to do that. It's just what we as humans do pretty well, I think. We, we, we glorify ourselves pretty well. I've earned this. I've made it. I did this myself. Look at it. Fantastic. That's what I did. Now, now, perhaps we're not the extreme of Nebuchadnezzar, not a bit like that, but the truth is, when, even when we do acknowledge God, well, we minimise him. We water him down. like a bit of weak cordial. And I want to say today that it doesn't taste much good. 
See, I reckon this is the pressing issue between us and God. It's the age we live in, isn't it? In this sort of uh, post-truth world where truth is subjective, it's based on my feelings, where we take a survey to know what the truth is, um, rather than any facts and evidence. So I reckon this is the pressing issue between us and God. We define God by our own terms, by our own truth, rather than God himself. And so we minimise God. We water him down. God's made to measure, we might say. God ends up being designed by me for my needs, for my wants. God's the perf- he's the perfect fit for me, we might say. Let me illustrate this if I try to at least. I've never, I've never had the pleasure, apparently it is a pleasure, of getting a tailor-made suit done. Anyone had one of those done before? I'm, I don't know. So, I, yeah, yes, <laughs> the, the, the bigger, taller guys. I wish I did because <laughs> every time I get buy a pair of pants, the first thing I do is send it back to a tailor to get the, get the legs taken up. And if I buy a shirt, the shirt's never fit me around my neck because I've got a silly rugby neck and that's what happens. So I've got to buy shirts that are huge and then go too long, so it's rolling up my sleeves. In a tailor-made suit, everything's sort of, you know, measured. So I imagine it's fairly awkward at times. You think you're measuring your waist, you measure your neck, measure the arms, and you're standing there and you're getting it all, all designed for you. And, I, you know, probably pretty good, probably feels pretty good to suit my needs. That's what it's for. We say to the tailor, oh, buddy, I... I I'd like the freedom, <coughs> excuse me, I'd like the freedom to move around a bit, you know? Just to, I, want to, I need to feel comfortable. I don't like being restricted. No, 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 I don't like that at all. I want to feel comfortable and be able to do what I'd like to do in my suit. I want to be able to dance a little, you know, do squats at a kid's, kid's spot in church, all that sort of stuff. I want to be able to do that in my suit. Uh, but, of course, it has to be strong and it's got to be trustworthy as well. That's important. I've got to be able to trust my suit. I want to say, could that be the way that we sometimes think about God and acknowledge him? In other words, we think of God as a bit of a tailor-made suit. He's especially designed for my needs. That's how we think about God. He's designed to suit me. In fact, as I design God in my head, as I think about him, what I really want is for God to be just like me. Or maybe a bit better than me, okay. I want God to be like Superman. Right? Basically, he's human, but he's got amazing powers. That's, that's a pretty good God. Um, he loves, loves to help people if he can get there on time. True. Uh, and he's a gentleman, and a gentleman never imposes his will on other people. That's a good God. Or maybe God, you know, he's like, like Morgan, Morgan Freeman, if you've seen those movies. Evan Almighty and Bruce Almighty. Um, he's a kinder, older man, likes to have a bit of a chuckle. So that's sort of, you know, he sits by you on the bench and talks about life with you. He's by your side. Now he's honest and he's caring. But he, um, but he challenges people. True, he does. And, and his harder lessons are for our good. It's true. See, we, we assume, too often we assume that God's just like us. He's my best mate, we think. He likes the people we like. He doesn't like the people we don't like. Uh, he shares my sense of justice and morality, my priorities regarding church and family. God gets it. And then, then on we go, um, justifying ourselves for the way we live. 
Here's Hollywood actor Brad Pitt. Uh, he's a good-looking man, isn't he? Um, this is what he said, though, about why he's not a Christian. He said, I don't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say I'm the best, and then I'll give you eternal happiness. And if you won't, then you won't get it. It seemed to me about ego, he says. I can't see God operating from ego. So it made no sense to me. See, here's Pitt's operating assumption. And with every other fallen, human, sinful being, and just like Nebuchadnezzar as well, is that he is like God. That's his operating instruction. Or, or in other words, God's like him. That's what he, he just He's assuming that God's just like him. Morally, yeah, we're both the same. We say he's just like me. And it's fair enough then that we both should be entitled to the same things. God's just like me. So why should God be treated any different than I get treated? That's not right. You know, they say. It's because we make the presumption and we like to believe that God is just like me. Which, of course, is what the serpent in Genesis 3 promised. You can be just like God. You can be just like him. Eat the fruit, the tree. Or put another way, God is just like you. So go for it, says the serpent. You deserve this. You can have it. And friends, that is what the Bible calls sin. When God is no longer God. God, when God, where God is no longer my centre, ruling my life, where he's simply replaced by me and my wishes and my desires. The truth is God is not like us. That's the truth. Repeatedly the Bible makes the point, as God makes clear in Isaiah, God says, I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah 46. His purposes cannot be thwarted. He is unimaginably powerful and breathtakingly good. He is shockingly gracious and loving to the undeserving. He has known the end since the beginning. His holiness is pure and terrifying. Over and over, the Bible has to say God is not like us because we repeatedly try to make him like us. We squeeze God into our own mental universes. We domesticate him. We fashion him into our own image. And not only is this what the Bible calls sinfulness, it's plain foolishness, isn't it? God is not our best mate. So we pat on the back and say, yeah, God, thanks for being with me. Now forget Superman, forget Morgan Freeman or any other God who looks like us. God is not like us, but far more worthy far more holy and is not to be messed with. He is to be glorified. He is to be acknowledged for who he is. So as we think back to the European Reformation, these reformers, that's 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, church, uh, the, the chapel door in Wittenberg in Germany, so we think back to this European Reformation and these five solas that we've looked at over the course of the year, sort of uh, bit by bit. See, that's, this is exactly what the church in Rome were not doing in medieval Europe. They were not glorifying God. They were not acknowledging God for who he is. Now, John Calvin, uh, he's a, here he is here, uh, another just as good-looking man as Brad Pitt, I believe. Um, now, he, he wrote these things. These are called the 
the Institute of Christian Religion. You can borrow them at any time. Um, they, uh, they, don't laugh, you can borrow them at any time, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're pretty heavy reading, uh, let me tell you. And they're heavy lifting as well. So if you want to do some exercise with your squats, you can go for these. Uh, but very good. Now he wrote that, he's a Genevan pastor and reformer. Um, this is what he wrote of the church in Rome at the time. Rome has destroyed the glory of Christ in many ways by calling upon the saints to intercede when Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man, by adoring the blessed virgin when Christ alone shall be adored, by offering a continual sacrifice in the mass when the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is complete and sufficient, by elevating tradition to the level of scripture and even making the word of Christ dependent for its authority on the word of man. So what did the reformers do? Well, they protested, and hence we have the Protestant uh, denomination. They protested against the church of the day. They stressed the importance of a God-centred worldview. Not me-centred, not church-centred even, or tradition, or experience. No, no, God alone. God is God, they said. He's not to be domesticated or designed by me or fashioned into the type of God I imagine works or suits my needs. No, 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 said the reformers. We need to look to God's word in scripture to know who who God is and in response, really our only response is to glorify him, to acknowledge him as he truly is. So, in fact, they said if if we grasp the first four solas. Now, sola just means alone. It's a Latin word. Um, and it came to sort of be, the, be the, uh, the way we speak about these, these slogans that characterise the Reformation. So if we grasp these first four solas, and if you remember, they were in, in Scripture alone, uh, Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone. If we grasp those first four well, then we'll grasp and get this final solar to the glory of God alone. In fact, we can't help but give glory to God if we grasp those first four. But if we water them down, if we water, sorry, if we, if we water down the glory of God, fashioning God into what we like him to be, uh, in effect, that's what the church, and church at Rome were doing in the 16th century, we water, then what we do, we water down, we undermine, and eventually we, we cast off those first four. If we water down the glory of God, we're basically saying, uh, Scripture alone, eh, not that really important. Christ alone, well, it's just one of many, isn't he? Uh, faith, grace alone, well, I need to do something, surely. It has to be faith plus something else. Now, that means that then we water down the glory of God. I want to take a few minutes, a bit of a recap, really, uh, to go back, take us back to Romans 11, chapter 11, which Kath read for us, where, where Paul concludes this short hymn of praise in chapter 11, 33-36, it's up on the screen there, in which he marvels at the unfathomable knowledge and wisdom of God, and then he finishes by glorifying God. His, um, his view of the world is God-centred. You see? Now, we could call this, a, it's, a great, it's a great verse to put on your fridge. So put on your fridge verse. I'm trying to coin that phrase. It's not catching on very well, but I'm trying. It's put on your fridge verse. Um, not off part. Especially that last, last one, verse 36. The apostle stood in awe of God. It's a Christian worldview text. I want you to 
take yourself back for a minute. Um, take yourself back to a moment where you've stood in awe at a view. You've got a view somewhere, plenty around here, isn't there? You know, when you've got to a moment and you thought, wow, this is spectacular. I'm in awe of this. Now, I'm thinking in my head, I've got Jerringong Falls. I love Jerringong Falls because it's hard to get to. It's just down Jamboree Mountain Road. Um, you could die because you could fall off easy. There's no, there's no sort of barriers or anything. Um, and uh, it's so steep. But it has this magnificent view. You just go, wow, I'm in awe of this. This is incredible. Uh, it, it takes your breath away, doesn't it? Those views like that? Let's see what takes Paul's breath away. He's in awe of God. Let's see what he, he says. It's a song. It's a doxology, a hymn of praise. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Big exclamation mark. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, what makes this, what makes this text remarkable is a lot of things. But one of them is its position in Romans. See, this hymn of praise comes at the end of chapter 11, after Paul has just laid out the great theological sections of the book. So he's explained our hopelessly lost condition due to sin, uh, the work of Christ in rescuing us from God's wrath, the, the permanent nature of the Christian's salvation in Christ, and what God is doing in world history, that how he's using the rejection of Jesus by the Jews to bring the gospel to all people, the Gentiles, non-Jews. But when Paul gets to the end, end of chapter 11, he does not glory in what he knows. You see that? And, and doesn't glory in what he's been able to teach and tell others. No, no, he, he glories in how little we know. How unsearchable his judgments. The depths of the riches and wisdom of God. He glories in how big God is and how little we are. And how all things come from him. From him, through him and for him. And, and the reformers... And for the reformers, all things meant scripture, Christ himself, grace and faith, all from him, or you could say by him, through him and for him, for his glory. I'll unpack these things just a little. In fact, this diagram is a little bit wrong. I, I thought about this this morning, but I want to leave it there because the arrow points both ways. The arrow to the glory of God should actually point back, back and forth, back and forth. It should be a double arrow both sides. Anyway, that's okay. What about Scripture alone? That's the first one. Uh, when the Reformers wrote about Scripture alone, their concern was with authority. That is, the Bible alone is our authority. Not the Pope. No. Uh, not the minister. No. Not the church. Not the traditions or church councils or personalities or, or feelings or experiences or even, even Christian books. Now, all these have some usefulness. But ultimate authority lies with Scripture alone. So if any of those things I just mentioned uh, come up against Scripture and they conflict with Scripture, we go with Scripture. That's our judgment. It's, it's Scripture alone. And so we can say, using, this, uh, using the terminology of Romans 11.36, Scripture is from God. It's from God. He's the source. Uh, since the Bible is God's word 
2 Timothy 3, it's God's, God breathed. It has come through God's agency, it's the Holy Spirit. Theologians use the word inspiration. The, the scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit and it will endure forever to God's glory. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. God is not like us, true, but we can comprehend him. Not fully, but sufficiently. In the Bible, God has given us all we need. So in the Bible, what God does, he opens the throne room doors. Try to picture that in your head if that helps. He opens the throne room doors to a true knowledge of himself, pushes them open. So as we open the, the pages of, the, of our Bibles, God says, come on in. He's opened the doors up. He says, come on in. We can enter that throne room by a mere flip of the, the Bible's pages. How good is that? What an amazing gift which leads me to glorify God, to acknowledge him for who he is. What about Christ alone? So when the reformers spoke of Christ alone, they were saying that salvation, that's, that means being friends with God, um, uh, forgiven, so on, that salvation has been won for us by Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus something else. Jesus alone. And this has been accomplished completely outside of us. So his death on the cross has made the perfect atonement for our sins. That means we're right with God. Remember from last week, our holy in his sight atonement, at one moment, at one with God, holy in his sight. Nothing we can do can contribute to that. Jesus did it for us. In fact, Jesus' righteousness is perfect, is applied to us by the Father, the, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that's, that's how we're justified. Another big Bible word. Remember justified? Justification, just as if we've never sinned. It's interesting that Rob used that last week, um, who spoke for us last week. Uh, Rob taught me that when I did MTS with him back in 1998. And here he is still using it, and I'm still using it too. Just as if we've never sinned. Um, we, we, way back in July, Paul Brigden spoke um, about Christ alone and used Hebrews 10, 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Made holy. God, Jesus has made us holy. Luther spoke of, of this um, as an alien righteousness. Nothing to do with little green men, anything like that. Uh, no, no, no. In other words, it's a righteousness entirely outside of ourselves. Simply by Christ alone, said the reformers, in order to give glory to God alone. See, it's not the church. It's not Jesus plus the church. It's not Jesus plus a bit of tradition. It's not Jesus plus a special experience. It's Jesus. That's it. God's son, in order that we would give glory to God. Christ alone. So if we jump back to Romans 11.36, see if we can work this out. Uh, if we think about Jesus, he is from God. Because he is God. He became a man by virgin birth by the Holy Spirit. And he lives for God's glory. As Jesus said about himself in reference to the Father, uh, John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. What about grace alone? We looked at this a few weeks back. Uh, when the reformers spoke of grace alone, they were insisting on the Bible's teaching that sinners have no claim upon God, that God owes us nothing but punishment, actually. But he, the same God we spoke of earlier, who is unimaginably powerful, pure and terrifying in his holiness, that same God 
saves the follower of Jesus in spite of our sin. Grace alone. Why does he do that? Why does God save us? Think about our sinful states. Why does he do that? Well, because he loves us. That's it. That's it. If you're a Christian person, he he saves you because he loves you. That's it. By grace we are saved, not by works. This is a gift from God, Ephesians 2.8. I want to put it this way, a little illustration to help. Uh, I think God's love works like a boomerang. Hear me out. See, God's goodness and love and holiness are magnificently demonstrated as he draws once forsaken sinners into the boomerang's arc of his amazing love. See, you know, if you throw a boomerang well, it's meant to come back to you, not hit something over there. That, that can be tough. But anyway, see, love that comes from God, out it goes, and returns to God, catching us up in its path. Yeah, that, that's, that's grace alone. That's what God's love is. Comes from God, catches us up, and returns to God. Grace is from God, it comes through the work of God and is for God's glory. Uh, when we grasp that we are saved by grace alone, well, I'll tell you what, we cannot help to say, to him be the glory forever. Faith alone, well, we're justified through faith. We looked at this last week, so we won't spend much time on this. We're justified through faith. Trust, belief, the same word, entirely apart from any works that we might do. Remember Romans 3.23, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, so that God alone is given the glory. To him be glory forever. See, in other words, each of these four solas leads us to the last and final slogan, alone, sola, to the glory of God alone. The final point of Romans 11, verse 36, you can see it down the bottom of the screen there, to him be the glory forever. When we ask why that should be, well, the first part of this verse uh, is the answer. It is because all things really are from him and through him and to him. So to him be glory forever. So friends, how, how will you give glory to God? How will you recognise him and acknowledge him for who he really is? How will you do that? How will you respond to him now, today, this week? As you go about your work, you know, as you spend time with friends and family, how will you respond? How will you glorify him for all that he's done? Well, let me take us to one verse and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever, you do it all for the glory of God. Your work, you do it for the glory of God. Your relationships with family, you do it for the glory of God. What you do here, serving and talking to people and so on, you do it for the glory of God. It's a God-centered view, isn't it? Not like Nebuchadnezzar. It's got to mean too there's no room for boasting. See, whatever you've been given, that sharp mind you've been given, uh, that confidence, that winsome personality, that attractive appearance, your wealth, your gifts and abilities, your right standing before God, your perseverance as you keep following Jesus, your desire to read God's word and pray, all things, back to the other slide, all things, it's from God. So whatever you do, 
Uh, do it all for the glory of God. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us to do that. And then I'm going to leave us, if we want to make a question or a comment, uh, we're going to start doing that again. We've had a break from it. Uh, but let's, um, if there's a question or comment, we can uh, make those comments. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for those truths of scripture, uh, that it is indeed scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. And Lord, those are for your glory. Because God, you are God. And Lord, we don't want to minimise you. We don't want to water you down and just to suit our needs. Lord, we're sorry that we don't always do that. We're sorry that sometimes we just, uh, we just make you, we domesticate you, we fashion you into what we'd like you to be. We forget who you truly are. And Lord, who you truly are is shown most gloriously on the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. Thank you, God, that you, that you gave us your son so that we might live and so that we might be righteous and holy in your sight. Lord, in response, let us fall to our knees and give you glory for who you are and be amazed and stand in awe of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.